It's the show the establishment warned you about. And thank you for joining us today. This is Dr. Tommy Show live from Wesley Chapel, Florida, where we are the most listened to concierge medicine show in not only Tampa, but all of the United States. And we are glad to have you with us today on August the 9th. And I am joined here, as always, with my by my co-host here, Tracy. Tracy, how are you doing? Tracy? Is my mic on? Your mic is now on. Oh, yes. good morning. Good morning. And we have a new uh, update. That was the uh, uh, update that was the show that the establishment's been warning you about. And uh, that was uh, Senator John McCain giving both my show a down thumbs. <laughs> Whatever. And that's funny. The effort to repeal portions of Obamacare, the down thumbs recently. So the seal of, of disapproval from the establishment. And we are glad to have that badge of honor. And what we also have the glad to have the badge of honor of is Atlas MD, which if you are interested in lear- learning more about Atlas MD and how to l- run a uh, direct primary care or concierge medicine practice, Atlas MD, Atlas.MD has a whole curriculum that's free on how to run a direct primary care practice, how to start one. And also, do they also have what is probably about the best thing I've ever seen is regarding software for membership medicine, and that is the Atlas MD EMR. And if you want to learn more about how to use it, you can go to AskDrTommy.com and click on the special offer for Atlas MD, and then you can use it for free for 60 days. And uh, you can have your EMR set up within a matter of minutes and you can run it alongside your current EMR even if you have one that's currently being operated uh, by your practice and run it free of charge on the side and just to test run it and then if you decide to use it well then the price is worth the price of admission because not only is it an EMR but it's also a billing solution for credit cards it's also a messaging system and one of the things that is really cool about it is it gives you reminders of your uh, refills that are due, and Tracy's looking at herself on the delay. <laughs> she checks her. Uh, I was like, checks oh. her hair and her fingernails. <laughs> my hair is sticking out, and um, yeah, I was like, "What the heck? Look at my hair!" And so it's just funny that it's up there on the delay. I'm watching myself. Yeah, and if <laughs> Tracy's uh, my uh, camera looks strange, it's because it's uh, at a slightly high um, uh, angle. The angle is up because Kaylee likes to come in here and play with the uh, cameras. That's her first thing she does when she comes in is play with the cameras. Yeah, so, um, so it's almost like you're looking right at my nose. Yours is looking kind of <laughs> up at you, and mine is looking more direct. But Yes, and it's, you know, I need it to look down What can you instead do? Because, you know, I'm going to look fatter this way. Which brings to mind, what is our first thing we want to talk about today? Or one of our first things is fat shaming. But before we get to fat shaming by doctors, I wanted to talk about USF. And USF has just impaneled a group to study having an on-campus stadium. So for all of you who have been following the USF Bulls for many years here in Tampa, we broadcast from Wesley Chapel, which is just up the road from USF, University of South Florida, and the USF Bulls. Uh, finished last season in the American Conference, 11-2. and two. And with all that um, excitement, they had an average increase of 10,961 fans per game last year for their home games. And, Good for them. And the Bulls play in the Buccaneer Stadium. Mm-hmm. 
which is fine if you are a Buccaneers fan, but it's kind of weird to go to a college game when you have a bunch of pirate ships around you and um, not much USF stuff, and it's garnet and gold. No, what is their colors? Uh, uh, it is green and gold, right? Garnet and gold. Uh, garnet. That's a FSU. What is the That's Buccaneers FSU. colors? Anyway, the Buccaneers color pewter, okay. pewter and red. So the Buccaneers colors are all over the stadium, and then here you are, green and gold as USF, and you roll in the stadium, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it doesn't fit. And so here's a USF is considering building an on-campus football stadium. Uh, school officials acknowledge they are still in the early stages of planning, but a preliminary feasibility study released Tuesday shows a stadium would set the school back about two hundred million to hold four four hundred or I'm sorry, forty to fifty thousand fans. Plans for a football stadium might be in motion, but are a long way off. The school said that even if it had the money to spend, the process would take five to seven years. And that is something that when I was a USF medical student, we were interested in having because, you know, we wanted to support the local team, but Mm -hmm. it's such a hard time to go down to South Tampa. It is. So how many colleges, uh, college football teams, go somewhere else and play and they don't have their own stadium it depends i think there are there is a um a precedent set whereby in tampa we have both nfl team and also a college team and i think and there's a few other um cities where that is the case that the college team and the nfl team share a stadium okay so that's pretty normal then i think that is the case in some uh, most college towns are college towns mm-hmm. and are not professional football team towns. So, therefore, the stadium is the stadium. So, mm-hmm. for instance, in Gainesville, the Swamp is, uh, you know, Raymond, or sorry, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium mm-hmm. is the stadium. And then, likewise, at uh, Dope Campbell Stadium is an FSU mm-hmm. for FSU. Now, what would be different is if you went down to Miami and they had, back in the day, they had the Miami Dolphins and I believe, uh, um, Miami Dolphins and the Miami Hurricanes for a time played in the same stadium. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure they did. Originally, um, the Dolphins played in their own stadium, and um, so did the Hurricanes, but was, at one point they shared a stadium. And I believe there's a couple teams out west that share a stadium. So in cases where there's an NFL team and a college team in the same town, they may share a stadium. However, if you are able to build your own stadium, I think that makes a better college atmosphere. Oh, most definitely. I think so, too. Yeah. Because if you look at a college atmosphere, it's very different than an NFL atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And I think NFL's atmosphere is more like um, a concert. Uh, there's there's hardcore fans there, but a lot of the fans are just casual fans. They got tickets from their their business or, you know, they have friends in town. Let's go to the, to the NFL game. So mm-hmm. they're not necessarily as uh tied into the 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 team as much as a, a college team um college fans and so if you look at a college stadium i think for building a bigger program like usf is trying to compete with florida and fsu for recruits i think it'd be a positive thing now the problem is the price right, 200 million 200 million well and so and so they said that they're um they've had ten thousand. 10,000 more fans last year, uh, I guess, than the previous year. And they were 11 and 2. So I wonder, okay, so we know that from last year, but I wonder about previous years. Are they steadily increasing? Right. And their Uh, fans, or is this just one year all of a sudden they had a lot more fans? I think if they did have have a um, 
a stadium on campus, there would be a lot more students to attend. Absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of kids don't, they just get around on bicycles. It's they a natural extension. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a college that you want to go hang out, you know, around the school, that the stadium's easy to get to. If mm -hmm. you live on campus, uh, then it's easier to get to. Um, so I think it'd be fun. I always thought there would be a good opportunity to do that. Uh, when we were in med school, Spencer, Top, and I, and few others we were talking Arjun Balar we were talking about different places to put a stadium and one of them it says potential space at the corner of Bruce B Downs Boulevard and Fowler okay so, so Bruce B Downs and Fowler so if you're from Tampa imagine you're going west on Fowler at the corner of Bruce B Downs and Fowler there's just a big open field now right normally uh, okay yes yeah, so there's that's nothing where the, there no there's nothing there and I believe that they have a little um they have a botanical garden but that's there's even room they, besides that. Yes, they have a botanical garden, but they also have, um, they have a research park around there too. And they do a little festival there, like with yeah. rides and stuff. But that would be a great place Once to a year. drop a stadium. And then you could park over at uh, the mall because no one goes to that mall anyway. No, the mall's not very crowded no. ever. It's almost, it's kind of a little scary actually. Science Daily: Fat shaming in the doctor's office can be mentally and physically harmful. Healthcare providers may offer. Weight loss advice in place of medical treatment, researchers say. So this is from um, Science Daily, and this is the source is the American Psychological Association. It dates August 3, 2017. And the summary is medical discrimination based on people's size and negative stereotypes of overweight people can take a toll on people's physical health and well-being, according to a recent review. Medical discrimination based on people's size and negative stereotypes of overweight people will take a toll on people's physical health and well-being, according to a recent review, a review of recent research presented at the 125th Annual Convention of the American Psychological Association. Quote, disrespectful treatment and medical fat shaming is an attempt to motivate people to change their behavior in an attempt to motivate people to change their behavior is stressful and calls the patients to delay healthcare seeking or avoid interacting with providers, in quotes. Uh, this is Joan Chrysler, uh, I believe it's pronounced, PhD, professor of psychology at Connecticut College, said during a symposium called, titled, Weapons of Mass Distraction, Confronting Sizism. It says, recommending different treatment plans for patients with the same condition based on their weight is unethical and a form of malpractice, Chrysler said. Research has shown that doctors repeatedly advise patients advise weight loss for fat patients while recommending CT scans, blood work, or physical therapy for other average weight patients. So what did you think about this article? Well, I think it's um, ridiculous. So, so do you uh, don't for, believe it? I don't believe it. I Okay, so if we have a patient that comes in here and he or she weighs 400 pounds and they have, uh, let's say they have bilateral knee pain. Mm -hmm. And then we have a patient that comes in and weighs 140 pounds and has bilateral knee pain. You're supposed to treat them exactly the same. Now, we can we could um, we could tell them um you know the the um both of them we could order an x-ray for both of them i don't think that we would say you know what because you're 350 400 pounds i know that it's not arthritis absolutely you know All right we would um treat them the same yes but also we would recommend you know what yes you need to lose a little bit of weight because how long are your knees how long do you think your knees can carry around 350 pounds but if that is what if that then makes them, it says here, uh, implicit attitudes, this is from their article, Chrysler said implicit attitudes m might be experienced by patients as microaggressions. For example, 
A provider's apparent reluctance to touch a fat patient or a head or a head shake, wince or tisk while noting the patient's weight in the chart. Microaggressions are stressful over time and can contribute to the felt experience of stigmatization. So, but if you're so if you mention it, if you mention that maybe that the knee pain is from weight being overweight. Yeah, so you order an X-ray on both shaming? patients. They both come back normal, mm-hmm. and you tell the skinny patient, you know, you know, you're, um, you don't have arthritis. You know, I'm not sure what it is, but it's it's not arthritis, whatever. And then the the heavier set person, the mm-hmm. overweight person, um, you what are you supposed to say? You know, your your X-ray is normal, and it has well, nothing to do with your weight. Okay, so what back to say? the point. So if you say that, okay, so that's what you say. So you say you have a heavy patient come in, mm-hmm. above average weight, overweight, let's say. And they come in and you get an x-ray and you you say, well, x-ray is normal. But you're not supposed to say, do you, or then at that point, are you allowed to ask him to lose or not advise allowed. them? She does not recommend it because you are going to make this person have chronic problems mentally. Okay. Um, so they're going to be very sad that you suggested that they are overweight. So it says medical discrimination. This is back to the beginning of the article. Medical discrimination based on people's size and negative stereotypes of overweight people can take a toll on people's physical and health and well-being. Uh, so if you don't say anything, will that then there take a toll on their well-being physically and emotionally long term? If you don't ever, yeah. If you would never address the issue with a patient that is two hundred pounds overweight, one hundred pounds overweight, that, that, that's malpractice. Isn't I it? think that's malpractice. Yes. Right. So you, that that you have to do a, a whole body analysis, right. everything, their mental status, their health status, everything. Um, and if weight is an issue, it needs to be addressed. If a person's having chronic fatigue. Well, maybe it is because they are so overweight. Maybe because they don't exercise. Okay. Um, so no, this lady's uh, this article is ridiculous. There's also another uh, person here quoted uh, Maureen McHugh. She's a PhD psychologist, and she says a weight-centric model of health assumes that weight is within a patient's or an individual's control, equates higher weight with poor health habits, and believes weight loss will result in improved health. Well, so, so she she's thinks saying, that weight loss will not improve health. Well, here's what it says. It says, Maury McHugh, a psychologist who also presented on research on fat shaming during the symposium, uh, she says, a medicalized view of weight conceptualizes fatness as a disease and weight loss as a cure. It wasn't that what we've been told now? Isn't that what we've been told? That the problem is obesity? That's America's health e- e- epidemic. Isn't that what we've been told? Yes. By the people at NIH, the establishment, so to speak, who have uh, mm-hmm. disapproved this podcast. And then, uh, so then she's saying that a weight-centric model of health assumes that weight is, is within an individual's control. Okay, let's take it that way. A weight-centric model of health assumes that weight is within an individual's control. Well, is it not? Uh, you know, I, I mean, different people are built differently, but my God, is it, is she saying that it's not within an individual's control? Are people so helpless that their weight well, just occurs uh, right. without even right? All of a sudden, you wake up one day and we have no idea how it happened. Now, that to me seems a little bit. Now, the thing is also the quality of life for a person that is to people who are overweight. over that is overweight. Um, I can speak from experience. I've lost weight and mm-hmm. over the past years, but I remember being tired. I remember being out of breath. I remember Did, okay. Here's a good question. Club. Here's a good question. Did any one of your physicians previous? Uh, when you were overweight, did they say, did they advise you of that? Dr. Morrison at USF, my endocrinologist, uh-huh. um, 
I do take thyroid medicine I've been taking for 15, 16 years. It is most definitely not. It was not the reason why I was so overweight. Okay. And I'm not blaming my right. thyroid problem. I was overweight because I was not um, exercising and I was not watching what I was eating. I didn't pay any attention. So what did, did Dr. Morrison say? Dr. You were Morrison overweight? said, uh, Tracy, do you realize that you've gained this much weight over a period of time? So he fat shamed you. He did. I never went back to see him. <laughs> Dr. Morrison is such a good guy. He is awesome. He is awesome. I, I have not I seen like him, him in a long time, but um, I really don't need to see him. It's just, you know, a simple little pill I take. But anyway, he did address the issue with me. And shortly after that, I was, you know, I thought, I did, that is ridiculous. Why am I so overweight? Why have I not? I felt like I let myself go. You know, when I was at USF, I used to work in the same hall as uh, the pulmonologist. And the next hall over was the endocrinologist. And then Dr. Morrison and his nurse practitioners worked in that hall. Um, yes, and, Nancy uh, Grove. She's a wonderful lady. Nancy, as well. and there was another one. I don't know. I don't know. I there don't was, know. Well, anyway, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I used to go over there and ask him questions about my. Um, you know, I have a question like, "Hey, I want to try Lantus with this patient. What's mm -hmm. a good way to start him up?" Yeah. So, and Dr. Morrison was also, um, you know, he was the guy that was in charge of the. Um, what was it called? Where you get complaints? Yeah, I don't remember. Anyway, but... he was the guy in charge of that, and so um, you know, if, Very you, if, nice you, guy. if you got a bad Yelp review back in the day, then it went to the yes, board, and the Dr. Morrison was in charge of that. Mm -hmm. And so that was, uh, anyway, he was a very fair person for that. I think so. And but uh, back to Yelp reviews. So let's say you know we're in a in a age now where all the doctors out there are watching are going to get Yelp reviewed later by the patient potentially who's seeing them mm -hmm. it could be anybody uh we could get a yelp review here um we could. or anyway your your own internal yelp review anyway whatever the case is so let's say you get a new patient you don't know this patient from anywhere you don't know him for adam uh and let's say you see them one time okay let's say a patient comes in they're overweight okay and they come in for uh pre-diabetes they have knee pain and they are otherwise healthy. Maybe they had a skin spot and you checked it out. It was okay. Well, let's say that you are concerned about fat shaming. You're a physician. And the patient comes in, you talk to him, and you are going to talk about it. But you say, you know what? I don't want to be offensive. I'm going to just leave this, table this measure, and I'm not going to talk about it. And maybe when I see him back, I'll kind of broach the topic because mm -hmm. they're brand new and I don't want them to give me a bad Yelp review. Anyway, so they go on, but they never come back. Maybe that patient moves to a different county or moves mm -hmm. to a different state or moves to a different health plan within the same city even, mm -hmm. but you're just not on their network. And then they go to another doctor and the other doctor, you know how it is now with patients, they see doctors seldom for more than a few few visits and mm -hmm. then their insurance changes and they go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so let's say that happens. Well, is that not malpractice then if the patient was never told, honestly, what the medical... I mean, you're there giving a medical opinion, right? Right. You were there to give your medical opinion. You're, you know, you're doing a, a full physical, full evaluation. I think it's... All the issues need to be addressed, including weight. Be interesting to see what others out there think. If you are interested in chiming in on uh, YouTube, you can do that. Um, also, we wanted to talk about uh, sports. So we we're talking about sports earlier. And one of the things that we do here is uh, school physicals. And if you would like to have a school physical for your child, you can have one here at Echelon Health. You do not have to be a member, but if you are a member, then it's free for your children, even mm -hmm. if they're not members here. So mm -hmm. school physicals, we're proud to do them. And I've done school physicals, probably thousands of them in my career. Um, and, um, 
we are doing those here, just give us a call or go online and email us. And we have the forms here. We I have can, the forms here. I can here. download them. And if we need to, we'll do an EKG, but um, usually we don't have to do an EKG unless there's some issues either with the family history or um, on the exam we find. And the other um, thing, that we're talking about, you know, Kaylee recently, uh, our daughter, your, your my stepdaughter, your daughter, mm -hmm. has had, uh, she did her soccer camp. Mm -hmm. She really liked it. She really enjoyed it. And now there's a big uh, controversy, not a big one, but there's a controversy amongst parents is saying whether or not children should have exposure to multi-sports or whether they should specialize. I guess that's the controversy. Mm -hmm. So let's say Kaylee goes out and she's just really good at soccer. And should she specialize in soccer or should she play multiple sports? What is your opinion there as a mother who's had children play sports? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I think that uh, given that Kaylee's age, she's seven. She did dance last year, which uh, included acrobatics and ballet. Mm -hmm. This year we're trying soccer. I think it's a good idea to let your child try several different things, but only one at a time. Mm -hmm. So it, she's going to hopefully do soccer this year. Do you think you should push them to it? Like it, yes, I do. I pushed Madison when Madison was about the same age, so mm -hmm. six years old. Madison is a little bit of an introverted type of child, mm -hmm. and I put her in softball. She didn't want to do it, but I thought, you know, Madison might need a little bit of pushing. Children get nervous and, and scared, you know, especially when they're around people they don't know. But I did say, you're going to play something. You're going to do something. Mm -hmm. And anyway, what she did softball, even though she was scared to death. And uh, it turns out she loved it. Yeah. And then she did that for years. And then she um, was able to try out for volleyball. Well, I that's pushed her. Madison right there. Yes. And then um, when it came to volleyball, she didn't want to try out for volleyball. And I said, I think you might be good at it. Just give it a shot. And so I forced her to do that. Turns out she loved it, was MVP, and just had a really great time with it. And now she does tennis. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's good. I, I guess it depends on your child, but I think it's a. I think it's good for let them try different things. You know, when I was a fellow, I remember doing. We used to do the triathlons when I was at Morton Plant, and we were, I did the sports medicine fellowship, and we did the one of the triathlons we did was the uh, sprint triathlon that Morton Plant puts on. And there was a kid there who went through, he was like nine years old and he came back and we were in the medical tent and, you know, people who fall down and scrape up, you see him or people who are just whatever injured afterwards, you see him. Anyway, this kid comes in, so he's nine years old and he comes in, he's limping. And so I said, what happened? He says, you know, my ankle sprained. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking to him about his ankle and then his, his uncle comes over, this kid's from South America and his uncle was here. And his uncle says, well, how long do you think it's going to be like this? And I said, well, I don't know. It's, you know, sprained ankle could be a week, maybe, you know, a week or two. But usually it's not that bad a sprain. It'll respond, you know, to rest, ice, this, that, and the other. He said, well, it's got to be better by next weekend. And I said, well, why is that? He's got another triathlon. Well, it turns out they were training this child, mm -hmm. nine years old at this point, mm -hmm. to basically be a competitive triathlete or competitive athlete of some fashion. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, like, basically, like, yeah, this kid has got to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ready to go next week. And I just thought that was just yeah. strange. Well, and, you know, Madison, we've had several coaches come to us, approach us about Madison doing travel ball. Mm -hmm. And that's competitive. And you play every weekend. It's strenuous. And I never felt like... I just never felt like it was a good thing to push a child and have them... Um, 
do the same sport and give up their weekend every weekend. And I know kids do it all the time and they want, and that's fine for them. It was not fine for us. And I, and I know soccer, Madison has friends that do competitive soccer and they're very devoted. I also think though, those children or those parents, they're aiming for hopefully a scholarship, you know, sport scholarship. Mm -hmm. I've always felt I would rather Madison um, devote more time to academics than athletics. I mean, it's nice if they can do both and Madison's been able to do both. But when you are like this nine-year-old boy, I don't know how much time is he going to have for schoolwork if he is... If Plus, parents, it, well, if he gets injured, you know, if, you, if you've got open growth plates and you're injured, you shouldn't be running around on an injured ankle. If you have open growth plates, you could have a, you know, potentially a more traumatic injury. You know, you could mm-hmm. have a growth plate injury. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know if parents like, you know, and, and a lot of times parents, I think, I mean, they get so involved in sports. I've seen some crazy people, some crazy parents on the sidelines. You would think that. I mean, they just, I feel like they want to be out there in that field playing. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, like you say, vicarious living. Yes. Like they wish they had played when they were a kid or maybe they wish their parents had pushed them harder. Um, I think it's fine to push your child to participate in an activity, whether it be sports or a club or whatever, but it does not need to be um, excessive. Uh, this is the... Um Today is Glenn Campbell. They announced that Glenn Campbell has passed away. Glenn Campbell was uh, 81 years old. And for those of you who remember, Glenn Campbell came to fame in the 60s and 70s and all the way through the 80s, 90s, and recently even had a tour called, uh, I believe it was the last tour, final tour. Anyway, he's diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2011 and uh, began a tour in 2012, actually toured uh, with the help of his family and was able to still perform uh, with the early stages of Alzheimer's disease, but he recently died and he was 81 years old. Uh, so Glenn Campbell, um, the most famous song for him probably that most people know is Rhinestone Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today we have- He doesn't a, love that song. I guess people that hate country music, but it's a great song. It is a great song. And today we're going to play a song from him. It's not from his uh, writing, but it is a song that he performed. And it's uh, the song is called "What a Wonderful World" and made famous by uh, uh, who was it made famous by? I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. Oh, Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. So this is Glenn Campbell's version of "What a Wonderful World." If you are interested in learning more about uh, Dr. Tommy's show, go to askdrtommy.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. That will be very beneficial for us, so we know. Uh, what would be interesting for you to get covered. And you can also email the show at the bottom of AskDrTommy.com on the email uh, tab at the very bottom of the page. Also subscribe on YouTube. And thank you all for the new subscribers and for all those listening throughout the world on both um, YouTube and on iTunes and all the different varieties of platforms. We thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.